Hi everyone, Josh and Ryan here. Welcome back to the Supercent Podcast, the personal development podcast hosted by the youngsters for once. Research shows if you put a hundred random people in a room, somewhere amongst them, there will be just two truly incredible, inspirational people who are living their lives to the fullest. In this podcast, we bring those exact people to you, week in and week out. Join us on our journey as we learn the secrets, routines and dreams of the Two Percenters. Okay, so welcome back to the next episode of the Two Percent Podcast. Today we are joined by Sally Turner. Sally, welcome. Hello. You're happy to be here. Fantastic. So what we like to do is just give listeners a kind of one minute bio of uh, who you are, and um, kind of why we brought you on, what we're going to talk about today. I used to play tennis from the age of 12 to 18. I was top three in Great Britain. I had a world ranking from the age of 14. I played junior Wimbledon, had a few years gap. And then in my 30s, I decided to take up a triathlon where I came fourth in the world for age group and fifth in the world. And then I went on to duathlon, European champion. Um, and then after that, I decided to focus on cycling. So that's pretty much it. <laughs> Great. I, I think you fit really well with the kind of 2% mindset that we're trying to talk about and encourage and find more out about, which is, you know, your relationship with your comfort zone and how you're living day to day, trying to, to live to your fullest. And so, yeah, I'm really excited for, for today's Thanks. episode. So if we start at the tennis, um, yes. what age did you start playing tennis? So I was about three because my family loved tennis. Um, I've got four older brothers, so I was the youngest. And I sort of was dragged around the tennis courts and picked up the racket and just started from there, really. Okay. And then what sort of age did you realise it was becoming more of a, something you were very good at from just a hobby that you're doing? So I basically, at seven years old, I entered the national competition for short tennis and I never picked up, played with the sponge ball before and I came sixth in the country. And then from wow. there, I then went to straight to yellow balls, very different these days, but I was straight away one of the best in the country. So yeah, okay, I knew yeah. from a very young age that I was quite good. And everyone kept telling me, so that was nice. <laughs> <laughs> So was that something, did you have a lot of lessons or was you literally just playing with your family to begin with? So my parents got me lessons from the age of, I think I was about seven. So I had a coach called Martin Tick, who was very good. And I played um, in group sessions and with my brother and family as well. So yeah, it was okay, nice. Perfect. And then after all that playing, and then you got to, you said you entered your first tournament at seven. How did it go from there until when you became into the top three in the UK and entering junior Wimbledon? Did you get involved? Yeah, I mean, that's it was quite a long journey. I played lots of uh, competitions. Um, and then at the age of 11, I went to an interview at a school called Bisham Abbey, okay. a boarding school. And they invite the best players in the country. Uh, I didn't get in that year because I was too young. And the following year, they invited me. So I was one of the youngest to go to boarding school. Um, and compete and work with other players um, who were top three in, in the country. And yeah, we had a, an amazing experience and uh, the LTA obviously funded a lot of money for that. So okay. that was, I did that from the age of 12 to 15. Yeah. And then, so basically I did that and then I left Bisham Abbey and then I went home for a little while to get my GCSEs because my education was quite tough to do both. Right. And then I um, had the opportunity to play Julie Wimbledon, which was amazing. Yeah, so it went from there. When you was at that boarding school then, was you doing education alongside it or was it just purely tennis? So we only had to do English and maths. Um, we were pulled out of all the other subjects. Um, so we had like a mini bus driver come and pick us up. 
and she'll uh, take us and we go back to Bishop Abbey. We had a school very close and we played four hours of tennis a day from the age of 12 and fitness and psychology. Uh, so we, it was a big setup there. Um, so we were like kind of in and out of school, but I would say my education did suffer mm. from it. But, you know, we wanted to be tennis players. So that's what we wanted to do. And that's what was driving us. Okay. It's interesting that they pulled all the other subjects apart from maths and English, but they did psychology as well. So was that sort of your training on your mindset or was it so we had we didn't do psychology at school we did we had a psychologist so uh, we had like sessions with him like you had to you had to oh. serve and go out and then people distract you and what would you do in a, in a certain situation oh that's quite cool yeah it was really good yeah what sort of exercises did they do then with that the, the, the bit but you had people chanting at you while <laughs> you're trying to serve and saying things <laughs> and i think it could have been done a bit differently maybe but yeah, I mean, the the concept was good. But, okay, right, yeah. yeah. So coming up to your GCSEs yes. then, was that something that was kind of a real balance for you, thinking about, oh, I need to actually go back and get my GCSEs, yeah, or was that... it more of a kind of a slog, like you wanted to just get back to Bishop Abbey to, to continue with the tennis? No, so stuff? basically uh, I decided that I wanted to leave Bishop Abbey to focus on education right. a bit more and then train at home. So I was at Bishop Abbey for three years and then I went back home because my dad was like a deputy head, so of the school. Right. And then I had like extra tuition and I basically I, I got my five GCSEs that I've, I needed to get. And then I carried on tennis again after that. So I left school after that and then went on the circuit. So that's mm. how, that's basically, I left Bisham to sort of go my own path. But the LTA still supported me. What was this sort of main, um, for young people now wanting to be pro tennis players, what would be your sort of main advice for them? Well, my son's playing tennis, so this oh, yeah. is a good question. Um, say, surround yourself by positive people who want the best from you, best for your personality to basically get everything out of you that you know that's going to drive you forward. Um, enjoy every moment um, and do it because it makes you happy. Yeah. And just be the best you can be. So that's my philosophy, really. just be the best you can be. I like the one about doing it because it makes you happy because I think outsiders may look in and was, would be like, oh, she picked up a tennis racket from three like was that her decision but throughout that journey was you always enjoy loving what you was doing um at the age of three I loved it I and I carried on loving it but towards the end it became more for other people right um I felt like I wasn't Mm. doing it the pressure was quite intense Mm -hmm. and then distractions were at 18 19 years old you think other things are better and yeah but I did pick up because I wanted to but I had a strong influence of other people wanting me to do it as well. Okay. So how did you get how did you get that realization that this isn't for me anymore? I maybe want to move on. Um I went to New Zealand to play for a tennis team and I decided over there that I wanted to get my A levels and have a backup plan. Yeah. Um because the pressure when you don't have the finances behind you, um you think oh, what am I going to do? And when you're 19 you th- um looking back you think you're 35 and you should be grown up and you know everything else but I wasn't I still had a long time ahead of me but I I, I was rushing a lot right, okay. so looking back I did have more time than I thought but at the time I felt like I needed more education behind me in case um, I need backup because I wanted to be a PE teacher if not so okay do you think the environment that you're in sort of contributed to that pressure because you had didn't you have a senior world ranking when you were like 14 yeah that's a really good question um yeah, I it did because the environment I was in, top three in the country, comp- competing against my best friends who are also top three in the country constantly every day, 
was a hard a yeah, hard yeah. thing to have for a 12 yeah, year old um so yeah that was hard but i guess that's how they, uh, they thought the best way of doing it which was so and obviously you want your, your son to do very well now but would you if he gets in that similar sort of position how would you manage that yeah i would i would just bring him back to reality ground yeah ground him a bit and do other things other than just tennis so at the moment he plays rugby as well and just be more of a more things going on than just yeah. tennis so i would encourage him obviously mm-hmm. and i was just trying yeah just just want him to enjoy it really yeah yeah so you had that realization that you other things may be more important and you wanted to move on from tennis you then took a very big break from sport right mm-hmm. but how long was that for 10 years 10 year break yeah so did you have any sort of involvement with sport in that period well I was studying to be a PE teacher I had my first child Lucy at 24 um so I was quite busy there and then I had Dylan but in terms of sport I'd go to the gym and you know working out but nothing I don't know it was just a bit boring nothing yeah you know inspiring yeah but I never really thought about you know doing anything competitively I didn't really know what to do um, I did tennis coach as well, which was good. But, yeah, I just kind of was just sort of floating through, really. Was it a weird, like, shift and transition from competing all the time at tennis is your life, sport is your life, to doing not much? No, well, to me, it was a big shift because I had to do... I did my three A-levels in one year. Oh, wow. So, um, because academically I struggled a little bit, so pushing, trying to do that was enough as it was. Um, yeah. And... No, not really. I mean, I kind of sort of just integrated into that. So yeah, yeah. You didn't, you didn't miss it. No, I still miss parts of it. I think parts of me is uh, thinks that maybe I could, I should have done a lot more in my tennis, but and maybe that's why I do what I do now. Yeah, yeah. I didn't meet my potential in tennis, so I guess parts of that, but parts of it, you know, I don't regret at all because you know I've got so much from it, experience and life experience and friendships and determination, all of those kind of yeah. traits I've got from it. So yeah. Learn mm. lots of things from it. So how was that transition then from having this break and studying to be a PE teacher? Did you graduate and then how did you find triathlon from there? Um, so I, first of all, someone goes, why didn't you, tr-? I just had uh, my son Dylan and they were like, why don't you try a marathon? <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. So I started yeah. from not running at all, started doing it. And then I did my first marathon and I got a good for your age place um, straight away for London the following year. And then I did London, and then I didn't enjoy it at all. It was just too far. I got stomach cramps, and yeah, I thought, you know, I need something a bit more short distance where you're not everything's not just focused on one race. So, so I had a go at triathlon, and I was totally hooked because yeah, that was really cool. And then I just got into triathlon, and then having the three disciplines was great, and just training and trying to you know get the be- get better and better all the time. Just the seeing that success was really really cool. Yeah, so you almost hooked on that kind of competitive streak again. And I think the self fulfillment of like, oh, I've got quicker on my bike today, and I've got, mm. I've, got my, I've got my technique better on my um, swim and running, and you can just see the improve. I can see the improvements all the time, and I yeah. sort of loved the training as well because you had like three different um, types of training, so I got really hooked on that as well. So the variety of it as well was something that was really attractive. Yeah, it's really good. I mean, it was a really social aspect as well. So I made lots of friends from it. And yeah, I mean, I could always see ways of improving. And every day I'd be like, what am I doing today? And it gave me a real focus. Whereas when you're just doing marathon running, it's like just long, long, slow stuff, really. 
So yeah, it's just more appealing to me, the triathlon. And so how did you come from starting triathlon, kind of getting that, um, getting that good for good for your age medal to thinking, right, this is something that I'm going to be quite competitive in? Because I think you fourth in the world championships for your age group. Yeah, well, that was funny because um, I entered my first triathlon and I came third in it. Um, and then I thought, oh, I'm okay at this. And then um, I did a few more. And at the end of that year, which was only seven months of doing triathlon, I came fourth in the world. So that was wow. – and then I was like, oh. And then um, I went back the following year to Chicago. I was so much stronger. But the competition was just slightly hard, harder. So I came fifth in the world in that time. But, yeah, collapsing on the finishing line on that one as well. Which, yeah, yeah. I, I did that a few times. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, so I sort of went from there and I just was enjoying it a lot. But I found the swimming a little bit frustrating. I was finding it hard to get improvements on that. But the bike I always really – loved like and I was always improving and just loved, like the speed and everything so I think isn't swimming the traditionally the hardest one because isn't it more about technique I think than... a lot of this so if I went into a local swimming pool I'd be the fastest swimmer there but when you go into an international stage the swimmers are like ex like national swimmers so to have the technique they have from you've only picked up swimming when you're 30 yeah it's really hard to compete with and it's rough. With the women are rough as well. They punch you and kick you, and <laughs> yeah, they're, <laughs> they're violent. <laughs> I just think the transition from picking it up to being something that is you're kind of competing like several years in a row, kind of fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, doing doing really, really well. Was it just the uh, continuing to improve that kind of fueled you? I mean, what's the kind of motivation behind that? Because it sounds like you went from not really swimming and running kind of a lot before to to doing incredibly well very quickly um I guess it would be one I like it gave me a focus so every day I'll get up and I know what I'm doing and it makes you feel good obviously the endorphin release and then two when you see success you want more success so I was like oh I'm enjoying this and the praise and everyone saying oh you're doing well and and me feeling like oh yeah that's good and and I know that I could do it as well. Like I could see that I could be a world champion if I just, you know, trained mm. a little bit harder here and there. And, you know, I wasn't far off from, you know, those top girls. So I guess that's what sort of kept driving me. You know, I, I still want to be a world champion, but just in a different area. Um, and that's what that drives me to keep going and, you know, be a role model as well for my children to show them, you know, you can try and achieve whatever you want. So that's kind of what drives me, I guess. Yeah. It's interesting that you say you like the social side of it as well, because I, I would have thought perhaps training for something like triathlon could be maybe a, a lonely process because you're so dedicated to... No, no not really. Like, at races, everyone, they're like-minded people. Yeah. So I wouldn't be kind of go down the pub and drink. I mean, that's what I would used to do in, the, in that gap, in those gaps. But now my motivation is people that I surround myself with are positive people who want to get the best from themselves. Mm-hmm. So they talk about that was quite geeky but they talk about what running sports are you going to be doing and what that session you can do an over and under on the bike and yeah how did that feel like that's what yeah. the conversations that we have rather than how many <laughs> drinks did you drink down the <laughs> sure, pub which yeah. is obviously yeah. I was there one day but now I'm more so we're like-minded people yeah so that's why that community yeah so and so this year I went to um on a cycling um, holiday with some girls who are pro cycle cyclists and I've learned so much on the trip and they were just so inspirational to be around because and it was so much fun because we all had similar 
things in common. So we were just like all talking about cycling all the time. But if I talk to my other friends about that, they literally just switch off. Yeah. So yeah, so it is social as well because you look like you say like-minded people. Okay, so now we're going to transition to a little segment that we are doing with every guest called the Word Association Game. So, Sally, what we're going to do is we're going to ask you 10 words and then just say whatever comes into your mind, the immediate kind of response, and then we'll pick up and see if there is any kind of interesting interesting responses in there. Does that sound good? Okay, sounds good. So, okay, so first word, healthy. Must. Excuses. Passion. Everything. Childhood. Intense. <laughs> Treatment. Vital. Transport. Mm, not sure. <laughs> Transport. History. Person. Champion. One. Advertising. Positive. Reflection. Success. Okay, fantastic. So I'm going to pick up on probably the most obvious one, but one I, I still think is really important was healthy and must. So I'm assuming that your response there is kind of around kind of regime, routine, exercise, and diet, and that yeah. sort of thing. Was 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 that your was that your yeah, response? Yeah. So basically, healthy is one that I've got better now in the last couple of years because I've realised that if you eat you know the nutrition if you eat better you're going to perform better so obviously my diet in the past has been dreadful but now I'm really focused on that because I know that the small gains you know the extra maybe 15 seconds I can get in a time trial and a little bit quicker so I know that it's so important that you can train harder once you've eaten well it's really fine margins yeah, exactly. and so yeah trying to make sure that you're living that lifestyle to to make sure that that you're achieving yeah, exactly, that. Yeah. Oh, great what what is a typical like triathlete diet what what do you need to get more of and what do you need to cut out so um i would say you just need to cut out um obviously alcohol um sugary foods you're more like so i'd have like quinoa with chicken and broccoli and just like healthier porridge oats mm-hmm. um just healthier and also eating enough so not starving yourself but having a you know consistent diet yeah but not high, not your insulin levels need to stay at a certain level. So, yeah. And is that maintaining that diet, especially with family and kids, is that hard to do? Or do you, have, do you sort of do batch cooking? Or how do you manage that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I do batch cooking for the kids. So they have their stuff. And then I kind of, um, yeah, I just plan. He's just planning, planning, planning yeah. ahead. But yeah, I'm down Tesco's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> So the next one I'm going to pick up on was reflection and success. What mm-hmm. made you say that? I make goals at the beginning of the year. So, for instance, this year I have a big goal, my A goal, which is to, to be qualified for the World Championships and be a world champion. But then I have I have other goals, so such as try and beat my 10-mile time trial, my 25. And I've got these goals from reflecting back from the years before of what I've done and how I want to improve. Mm. I think it's good to reflect because you're not always going to hit every target that you give. So I think that's what, otherwise you can be too hard on yourself. So yeah, I think reflection is good because you can be more realistic with your success or not success. So you can learn from it and move forward. It sort of helped put things in perspective as well, like where you was and what you've achieved. Yeah. From where I've started to where I am now, 
yeah, I mean, it makes it more realistic to yeah. what you what I want to achieve. If I just turned around now and I said I want to be a world champion and I didn't have the stepping stones in place, mm-hmm. then um, I, I think if I didn't become world champion, I'd find it very hard to deal with. Whereas if I have other little goals as well, I can be, okay, well, maybe you weren't world champion this year, but next year you might be, but yeah. this year you've yeah. got a personal best in your 10-mile okay. time trial. Um, so, yeah, ref- it, reflecting is really, you learn just as much from it, I think. I think especially in like I think the industry you're in because the danger of it is is like when you were competing in like world championships for example you're becoming fourth fifth in the world which is incredible and like anyone else would be so happy with that but the nature of the sport is that you don't get on the the medal podium being fourth and fifth yeah so can that be sometimes do you find that hard to process or do you need to reflect or are you happy when you reach that no I mean because the kind of person I am yeah finishing fourth in the world wasn't good enough Mm. So to me, I wanted to be on the podium. So fourth was a hard place to finish. Yeah. But when you when I did win the European Championships, it was like nothing. You know, it was amazing. It was the most amazing feeling and standing on the podium. Um. So I'm always re trying to recreate that feeling, I guess. Yeah. Um. And that's another thing that drives me to keep going. That feeling of you know, of winning. yeah, of winning and being yeah, best. best you can be. Yeah. Great. And then the last one I'm going to pick up on, going to mash two together. So excuses, none and passion and everything. Let's talk a bit about that. Okay. I just, um, in, in my life, you know, I'm 39 years old now. I just hear a lot of excuses of why people can't do things and, and why they can't train. And I, with me, I think I try and find reasons why you can train. And, you know, I've just had a baby and I'm it's 11 months old, but I'm still, I'm about to start competing in sort of in the country again for cycling. And I just, I just feel that you have to try and find ways that you can, can do things. So the excuse, like it's, it's no good just doing an excuse because you lost a race. You just think, what could I have done better? And how can I do better and, and do it? Yeah. <laughs> so you know what I mean? Think yeah. So segueing from your excuses to using your reflection to, um, think about why you might not have succeeded the way you wanted to or why you did succeed and then using that to propel yourself forward perfect your answer was much better <laughs> <laughs> Good. great do you want to pick up on anything else josh uh, what did you say you wanted to ask about the passion and everything because i was a bit confused by that so okay what do you mean by how can you have a passion is usually sort of one thing isn't it your passion for so what, what did you mean by passion and everything Okay, for instance, when I gave up tennis at the end, I wasn't passionate for it, so therefore I didn't compete in in the best way I could. Whereas if you're passionate for something like I am passionate for training now, I get up every morning, I some sessions hurt so much, I, it, they're called over and under session, but I would only do that because I'm passionate. Yeah. So for me, that's everything that drives you forward, passion. Oh, I see what you mean. Right. Yeah, so passion like, is everything. Yeah, yeah, passion is like what gives you, the, wants key, you to so. get that, to get to the goal. Sure, yeah, it makes sense. Great. No, I think that's a really, really good session of the Word Association game. We're really pleased with some of the some of the tidbits we're able to, to bring out there. So we spoke a bit about earlier how cycling and the bike was your favourite part of triathlon. Yes. Um, should we talk a bit now about how you found cycling through triathlon? Yeah, sure. So um, when I was doing triathlon, um, I had some people encourage me to get another bike because in cycling is how good your bike is as well and um, I had a bike shop in Worthing they sponsored me and they got me um, my bike that I have now which was the first inspirational thing because I started going a lot quicker as well I just kind of got into 
So in cycling that I do, you're always trying to beat your personal best. So for instance, my 10 mile time trial is 22 minutes, um, 44 seconds. So I'm always trying to get quicker over 10 miles. Yeah, just ways of like getting new wheels, a new aero position. So there's all ways that you can adjust your body as well as training. So I just find it interesting. I just love the speed and everything. Um, Are those sort of marginal gains easier to see in cycling than when you was in tennis, for example? Yeah, I mean, that is totally different. Yeah. So uh, marginal gains in tennis would be just training, mm-hmm. psychological, tactical. In in cycling, it's it's about um, you could you, you can change your body position. So your you eighty percent drag is in your upper body. So how small can you get? Um, how how strong can you get your legs to push the power? How yeah. what kind of helmet you're wearing? How you tuck your neck in? So it's all very it's they're two very different. But in terms of sort of the results, like I guess you can see progress more easily within cycling because you can you can see the times improving when you're training. I think um, the difference is it's more personal with yeah. cycling because you know that you're competing against yourself as such because you know you're get, trying to get your personal best. Yeah. Whereas tennis, it depends what the other yeah, person's exactly. doing. Yeah. So you could play someone that um, likes to play a slice backhand and they you might not like that as much and it depends who you're playing as much. Um, so yeah, it's quite different in terms of the sports, yeah. How does that sit with you now? So we're kind of back to the kind of modern day now. So through from tennis to triathlon to cycling now. So what are your kind of goals at the moment? You spoke about the, the, the time trial stuff. What, what are you heading towards for the rest of the year? So my um, ultimate goal is to qualify for the World Championships in September um, in Poland. So my main goal is to qualify and then I would like the podium um, at the World Championships. That's my A goal. And then um, my B goal would be uh, I'm competing in the nationals and to finish in the highest place possible. So um, I haven't done it before, so I, I will get a place, but it would be in the 25-mile time trial and the 10-mile time trial. And just trying to get the highest possible place. So I'd probably say like top 15, hopefully, um, see how if that's possible. So I'll see how I go and then next year um, improve on it. So, yeah, so that would be my – and then – beat my personal time best of 25 miles and 10 miles so yeah I've got lots of different goals what what does the training regime look like on a sort of daily basis for someone aiming to qualify for the world championships in cycling so I have a coach um, and I follow a program so I have about 10 to 12 hours a week of cycling and I have a longer ride in the week and then I have a interval session which is like over and unders which is quite painful you really have to get your mind in the right place to do that so what does that consist of so it's basically so it, it says in itself but over is where it really hurts right. and then under is where it just hurts yeah. <laughs> so who doesn't know like where yeah. what are you doing on the bike going the so ba- right so what you're doing is this thing called watch you work with a power meter Okay. So you have to push, um, I have to push watts over what I would do in a race okay. for a few minutes. And right. then I would then have to come down to what I would do in a race. And then I have to go over again and then under, sure. over and under. And then you get like 10 minutes off and then you have to do it again, 10 minutes off and then you have to do it again. So it's like replicating a race but worse. So when it comes to the race, it's actually not as probably not as bad. Like, yeah, so really way, push that limit. <laughs> but, you know, it's, yeah, so it's, it's. But that's what makes you. That's what makes you better, and that's yeah. what that's what I think when I'm doing it. I think, well, this is hurts, but this is what's going to make me win. 
So that's what drives me to do it. That's Yeah, that's what you're sort of thinking to push through that pain. Yeah. I think that's what the difference is. People who aren't willing to do the work won't become champions, but people that are mm. will put, put in the pain. But why do you think you've, you've got that mindset in comparison to other people that can't motivate themselves to push beyond the pain? Because your, your gym, for example, is called Sally's House of Pain, isn't it? <laughs> I know. Um, I think it's coming back to that, you know, wanting to succeed and the success and knowing what it, what it feels like. And I know what's required in order to do it. Yeah. Um, so it's just the passion. It comes back to passion again, the passion of wanting to do it. Yeah. Because if I wasn't passionate, I wouldn't be able to put myself through that pain. Yeah, sure. Um, but at the moment, I really, I really want to try and achieve those goals this year. So that's what I'll, I'll do. Do you, do you ever have days where you sort of wake up and think, I really can't? Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> I do, you, have those. do you still do it? Yeah, of course. Because yeah. if I don't do it, I'll, I'll beat myself up. You'll feel worse later <laughs> yeah. on if you don't. And mm. if I don't do it, I know the people I'm competing against are doing it. Oh, that's a good way of thinking about that. So I need, to, I need to do it. Um, and then once you're in it, you know, and you're doing it, it's fine. And even the like simple sessions of like just spinning it, you know, it's the endorphins and it makes you feel good and it makes you happy and it, so it's like having breakfast. It's part of what I have to do. Yeah. You know, it's part of the routine of my day. So. I guess that gets easier over time. Like when, like you say, getting started is the hardest part. So if, if you, once you've got used to your training regime, like you say, it becomes a habit. Yeah. Rather than if I was to try to start that tomorrow, I'd probably die. You know, but yeah, but it's like, it's like anything. It, it is a habit. It's like if you're studying you know, you've got to write a dissertation or, you know, it's it's hard to start, but once you're in it, you're going and it's, you know, it's, yeah. it gets easier. The, I, you, it's the end goal, isn't it? It's, you know, you have to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I see that session, sometimes I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah. But, yeah, I know it's making me stronger and better, so. But, yeah, I trust my coach and his plan, so. <laughs> How often do you see your coach? Um, It's more kind of through messages and okay. stuff like that but yeah he races as well so I see him at the races yeah but yeah no it's a train shout but they're very good yeah I'd race for them as well yeah so on the mental side of it kind of handling the fear of not achieving not getting that podium we spoke earlier about kind of coming forth and and the um, trepidation that can come with that yeah. would you say it's very much focused on yourself rather than the competition even though there is that element of thinking well if I'm not training then the competition is yeah, that's a good question, actually, because I think that's why cycling suits me, because it does come down to I'm trying to compete against myself, which I find easier than trying to compete against yeah. other people. Even though I am competing against other people, when you get on the time trial, you're going as fast and as hard as you can to the end. Um, and I think that's why I cope with the pressure better than when I was in triathlon. I got very nervous. I still get nervous now, but nerves are a good sign because it shows you care. Um, but it's dealing with those nerves, I guess. So I will be like the, before the qualifying event for the world, I'll be, I will be really nervous and yeah. I will feel sick and all the rest of it. But so I know, so will everyone else, but it's just, I know that I will then put that out in the race and I'll use that energy. So that's sort of how I deal with it. I guess it's just yeah. when I get into the race. So those nerves sort of go away once you start again, is it? Yeah, so once you, when you're in the race and you yeah. start, yeah, it's fine. Okay. The analogy I can use is when I, I watch my son play tennis, I used to play tennis and I didn't really get nervous when I was younger. But when I watch him, I'm terrified. <laughs> <laughs> because you want, cause you've got no control of it. But when you're, you're the one that's got control of what you're doing, yeah. it's easier in a way. True. So 
yeah, in the race, I just start off really nervously, and then I just that's it because you're hurting so much at that point. You don't your nerves go. Yeah, you've got other things on yeah, your mind. You've got your pain in your legs and your lungs bursting <laughs> out. So yeah, they kind of yeah. make sense. Do you, do you think you do have a higher pain threshold than most people, or is it literally just a mindset thing? I think um, a bit of both, maybe. Yeah. Obviously, I've given birth three times, and it's more pain <laughs> than that. And my last labour was an hour, and I had two paracetamol. So. Jeez. If I can do that, that's what I'm going to think about the next race, actually. <laughs> if I can do that, this race is going to be easy. Um, but no, I think in training, training makes you succeed. So if you can push yourself through training when it comes to the race, that's just, you're just emanating what you did. In yeah, the, you're prepared. In, yeah, you're right. prepared for it. So yeah, it's mindset and pain as well. Uh-huh. I don't think anyone that doesn't like pain would do triathlon. I mean, do triathlon or time trialing. Yeah. I'm quite interested in the, in the transition between the two because, like, you did, you were basically at your top level in tennis, mm-hmm. then top level in triathlon, and then you moved on to cycling. So there's two times there where you've sort of thought, I'm going to move on to the next thing. Whereas I think other people could, when you achieve success in something, it's very easy to stick with what you're good at. Mm-hmm. So how did that come about? And do you think there'll be another change on from cycling? Or do you think this is a bit... I think that comes down, that's a really good question, because I think that comes down to happiness, because... When I got used to have to get up and do interval training and running, I didn't enjoy it mm. because it it, just, it really, really hurt in a different way. Um, swimming, I found, became a bit, you know, very technical and I was struggling a little bit with it. So for me, my love was cycling and I thought I just want to have a go at just cycling. And I know that in cycling I could achieve more as well in, in the not age group stuff, but more in like nationally, see how I could do more. Yeah. so I could compete in it um, so yeah I mean that, I, I think I'll stick with cycling I'm going to stick with because that's what I do love yeah okay. yeah it's just, it's just a journey to get there <laughs> any more questions on the cycling Ryan I just think uh, for me kind of how do you juggle the kind of training and, and, and the pain side of it and really kind of do that and I think the answer is going to be passion but how do you kind of juggle all of that with the kind of personal life I mean you said you've got you've got children as well you've got family to think about how do you manage that? And the PE teacher on your yeah, side. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, how do I manage it? Well, this is when I came back to the, like, no excuses, which is sounds like a bit of tough love, but because I want to do it, I find time. Yeah. Um, I do, my kids are very accepting and they see me, I could spend more and more time with them, you know, those 10 hours a week, but then I think I'm also a role model to them, so kind of my son will come down in the morning like before school and I'm in there doing info and he comes in and gives me a kiss but he can see that I'm working hard and what we need to do but I have supportive family um my partner's really supportive and I have a wonderful au pair who's uh, <laughs> which has been a life savior as well um you find ways so training really early before work and going to bed early and yeah you just have to adapt it's not you know it'd be easier if that's what you had to focus on but you know, like I say, I, I don't make excuses. I just kind of try and find ways around what you want to do. Yeah, you just do whatever it takes to. Yeah. To to to. But I to also, achieve. you know, do I do know it's important to find time for the family, and it's not all about me because I know sports people can be very selfish, mm. and I do have an element of being selfish because I have to do mm. my training, but I also have to find time for everyone else as well. So, which makes me happy. So all of it, I do because it obviously would make me happy. I don't want to neglect yeah, anything, sure. if you know if I can. 
<laughs> no, of course. As, as a PE teacher, do your children know about your background and what you do? Yeah, they're really sweet. They're like, oh, wow, miss. I mean, they don't get the concept of what things are. They're like, oh, are you going to compete in the Olympics? And I'm like, no, it's not like that. But, you know, <laughs> and then I'm, when I say, well, you, why didn't you do that? And I, went, and I explain what I did in the morning. And they're like, oh. Like, you know, you get someone a little bit back to like, okay, then I'll get on with it. Then. <laughs> but no, they're, they're really supportive and they're really sweet, actually. And the school's really um, good. And I've had some sponsorship as well from it, so which has been, been really helpful. Yeah. So, yeah. And so sort of taking your passion for sport and combining that with education, do you get, was, was that something you'd look to do in the future, like coaching and educating children to become the sort of people like yourself? Um, <clears throat> or not? No, probably not. I just, I mean, I enjoy my job and inspiring them with what they're doing and yeah I, I'm quite happy in the role because I run events and stuff I'm quite I quite like doing what I'm doing at the moment okay. so yeah in terms of my career I'm happy with the way that it is and yeah. Stuff. yeah great so the last kind of section of the show we're going to have uh, questions um, from the internet and from a reddit forum as well and then the last piece is what, what we'll do is we'll ask you a question from our last guest which was Aaron Sherwood a consulting analyst at Accenture and then you'll also have your chance Sally to ask a question to potential next guests so anything that that you're thinking about you want to know the answer to you can have a think about what that might be as well so the first question of do you have one particular competitive memory that stands out and why the first one that just popped into my head was um, playing at junior Wimbledon because it was the most inspiring thing I've ever done. So, yeah, that was unbelievable. So, playing at junior Wimbledon. Is that just because of the, the kind of occasion side of it or because you were so young? Or? Because from the age of three, I looked at that green tennis court and I wanted yeah. to play there and that was amazing. But the, now the other one that popped in my head was winning the European Duathlon Championships because that was and that was unbelievable for me as well. Amazing. And so next from a Reddit forum, um, motivation forum, a user called Aradorn says, I want to play sport and get stronger physically, but I just can't find the motivation. Do you have any tips on how to start and how to get there? Okay. So I would say, first of all, sit down. Um, you need to put goals down. So a goal, what is my ultimate goal? then have little goals all the way up. So every month you'd have a little goal and reanalyze it, keep going back to it because it makes it less daunting. And therefore, if you've got little goals that will improve you to get to the big goal, that's the best way to do it, I think. And keep reevaluating it. And then it'll just keep you motivated for short periods. Yeah, so breaking it down. Yeah, to breaking m- it down. Show not just how it's achievable, but how your little kind of little actions each day building up to it. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic. And so, Josh, do you want to do the question from, from Aaron? Yeah. So last week we had Aaron Sherwood and he spoke a lot about transhumanism, which is basically this idea that people can, in the future, maybe able to implement technology into themselves to improve themselves. Okay. So it's a bit of a weird, like, Black Mirror type. Okay. But, um, his, his question was, what's your view on the future of cyborg technologies? And do you see it as something that could help humans or is it do you see them like taking over the world like what's your view on it in terms of sport or... you could yeah it could have implications of, on sport in terms of sport i think it's unethical because it's like taking drugs i guess because you could have something that could enhance you to make you quicker yeah so in terms of sport i would say no because one person might have more money might be able to get the latest technology thing that will make them quicker that's true um 
and I just think it makes it unfair playing field for in terms of sport. So in terms of life, if it helps someone who has lost a limb or I don't know if that's kind of yeah, yeah then of course, yeah, that is something that will help them in their life and make them happier. And I do agree that that but in terms of sport, no. Yeah. And that's something Aaron mentioned as well, like the digital divide, like you said, like if people mm. the people that are at the top will just get better and there'll become a greater divide between them. But it's already like that a little bit in sport now because you can get if you're you can get the most expensive bike, yeah, and then the most expensive electric gears, or and then you're you've got that little gain over the other person. So yeah. it's already like that. You to make it even more like that would be bad. A bad thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Great. And then, have you had a think about what question you might want to leave for our next guest? Yeah, being sporty um, and dealing with stressful situations and trying to get the best from it. So my question would be: How do you deal with stressful situations? How do you deal with stressful situations? Okay, perfect. Nice <laughs> Sally, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you thank for having you. me. Thanks much very much. Good to speak to you, Sally. Thank you. Thank you very much. Nice to talk to you both. Well, that's it for another episode of the 2% Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed recording. If you or someone you know has a story to tell, we'd love to hear from you. So please get in touch. Also, we're developing too. So if you liked the episode, give us some love on social to support the series. And if you didn't, let us know how to improve. Stay motivated, follow your dreams, and as always, do it with a smile.